0: Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. I trust that you all are well under the circumstances of life, and that you have been nourished by the Lord our God this morning in the preaching of His Word and also the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and that the Lord will continue to bless and nourish us as well in this evening as we once again look at His Word. The passage that we're going to be looking at tonight is Matthew chapter 21, and we will be reading verses 28 through to 32, the parable of the two sons, as Daniel also mentioned in his prayer. Now in this parable, as we'll be reading in just a few seconds or minutes, we will be reading of a father who had two sons. And he gives the same commandment or order to his two children go and work in the vineyard. And the reaction of these two sons couldn't be more on opposite ends. The one son answers in a certain way, saying, No, he won't go and work in the vineyard. And the other, and then later on, he goes on to work in the vineyard. And the other son says, yes, I will go. But he never ends up going to work in the vineyard. And it's a stark contrast. I thought about ways in which I can portray this contrast. And one that I came up with, it's like a cold, freezing winter night in Canada, opposite to a warm 95-degree summer day in Florida. It's like day and night. You can't think of things more opposite to each other. The reaction of the two sons. The reaction of us as believers opposite to those hypocrites, those unbelievers. So let's look then and read the word of the Lord our God, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 to 32. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first one and said, Son... Go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he, that's the father, went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? Jesus asks those who was around him. They said, the first, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. The word of the Lord our God. And brothers and sisters, truly as has been said often, the grass withers, the flowers will fade. But the word of the Lord our God, that which we have read just now, will continue to stand and to endure forever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for the blessing upon the reading of his word. Our Father, we do thank you for your written word that has given to us and that we know will endure and stand forever. We thank you that we have given your word for the edification of our minds, hearts, and souls. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit working within us to not only hear these words, but to grasp them and to faithfully adhere to them. We pray that you would bless us now by opening the ears of our hearts so that the good news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ might fall on fertile soil, so that our those who are far away from the calling that we have received. We pray that you would bring those who are far away from you, closer to you by your word, and that you would bring all those who listen to your word tonight unto a saving faith. We pray this in the name of our King and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, beloved, as I already mentioned in the introduction, this passage that we just read now includes a parable, and the specific parable which we have read is the first in a set of three parables which we can read in the next part of chapter 21, and then also the third parable is in the beginning of chapter 22. And specifically in these three parables, our Lord Jesus is instructing the Pharisees and the scribes or the chief priests around him, as well as the crowds who were standing next to him listening to what he had to say. He instructed them regarding the kingdom of God. And as many of you would know, a parable was a literary device that Jesus often used wherein he communicated something by way of telling a story wherein the elements and the characters of the story represented something or someone in reality. But its purpose, especially as practiced by Jesus, was not only to tell a story and the elements of the story had an implication to everyday life things and activities and people, but Jesus specifically through his parables instructed the Christians on how they should act and how they should believe and exercise their faith, and it's oftentimes, as we see in these parables, contrasted by the way of how those who do not, who is not the children of God, live and practice their unbelief. Miriam Webster define a parable as such. A parable is usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates, I- illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And as we can see then in this text, in the f- last two verses that we read together, is that Jesus explicitly teaches something here about the kingdom of God. Through these parables, he makes known or he reveals something about the kingdom of God that was previously unknown. Jesus then used this made-up story that he told, which consisted of fictional characters, to communicate to those around him something about the kingdom of God. And through this, he encourages those who already is called to the kingdom of God and who adheres to this call. And he also rebukes those who are also called to the kingdom but refuses the call to answer this call. And as we read, Jesus tells this parable of a father who had two sons. And he asked his sons to go and work in the vineyard. And I reckon that some of you might have had a previous experience that was quite similar to what we read here. Maybe your dad was, or is a carpenter, or a mechanic, or he's a handyman working for himself, and then at times, in all probability, especially when you were younger, you too were working for your dad, and you too were a mechanic, a carpenter, or a contract worker at times. Sometimes he would come and ask you to help him in his shed or to go to his work site or to his garage and just do a couple of things for him to help unload the burden that is on him. Son, can you go and look there at the toolbox and there's a socket wrench. Can you bring that to me? Or son, what do you do on this Saturday? You have any plans? I have plans, I have a lot to do. I need you to go to Lowe's and get some pine wood because I need to make some cupboard for a client that I need to do, to build. Would you help me? And this is almost the same situation wherein these two sons were. Their dad comes to them and asks them to help him. Now, in fact, if we read closely, the father didn't ask his sons to help him. Read again in verse 28. He goes to his son, the first son, and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. There's not an option if you want, if you can, if you have the energy or the willingness. Go and work in the vineyard today. And after this command, the responses of the two sons couldn't be more contrasted towards each other. The first son answered his father quite disrespectful and crass. Verse 29, I will not. Almost as if saying, why me? Why should I? I will not. And yet we read that he later on changed his mind. Or literally as some translations have it and as this word can also be translated as, he repented. He made a metamorphosis, he, he changed completely and he went he turned away from that which he had planned to do and he went and worked in the vineyard and the second son on the other hand answered his father's re- request very politely and respectfully read there, there in verse 30 he answered, I go sir or literally yes my lord Yes, my master, I will go. And read the next few words, ironically, but did not go. The contrast of these two reactions. The second son, only sweet talks his father, says, yes, my Lord, I will go, but yet he did not do what he said he will do. Both gets asked or told to go and work in the vineyard, but in reality, there is only one who was obedient. The other one only makes as if he is obedient, but what as is clear very, uh, as is very clear from his actions that he is not obedient. He does not adhere to the request of his father, and he does not do his father's will. And after telling this parable to those around him, Jesus then turns to the Pharisees, the chief priests, and those standing around him, and he asks them, which of the two did the will of his Father? Which of these two did what was obedient, did what was right? And then, like one man, they all cried out, the first one, the one that said, I will not go into the vineyard, but then changed his mind, repented, and went to the vineyard. Full towards his father, but gently said that he did not want to work in the vineyard, acting disrespectful towards his father, but changed his mind. It was him that did the will of his father. And quickly, just before we're going on, hereby the Pharisees and those around Jesus that did, did not say that it is lawful to lie explicitly or to say you're going to do one thing and then to change your mind and do something completely different. But what they acknowledged here is that the first son acted correctly because in fact he was obedient towards his father in that he was the one that went on to work in the vineyard. And the Pharisees were completely correct in their answer. They realized that it is better to end in obedience than to begin with only words of obedience. But as I mentioned earlier, the goal of this parable that Jesus taught and the goal of these four verses is not only to hear this story in itself and to make certain deductions of this story in itself, but the point of this parable is to reveal a mystery of the kingdom. And there are two things that I want to point out in this parable in what this parable reveals regarding the kingdom of God. And in a sense, this could be the two main points of the sermon. The first point then is that Jesus is making known, the first thing that Jesus is making known about the kingdom of God is that there are many who are called to the kingdom and they answer this call with great enthusiasm. They answer this call even with great reverence and outward respect and love towards God. There are individuals and families that go through all the motions of Christianity. They speak Christianese, and they know the grammar and the syntaxes and vocabulary of ease on the top of their lips, of their tongues. They attend worship services regularly, and they are even members of the local church. They go to Sunday school and Bible studies and they participate in the Lord's Supper and they themselves and their children are baptized. But in their heart, they actively actively rebel against their Heavenly Father. The words of their mouths does not correlate to the root canals of their hearts. When somebody, somebody asks, are you a Christian? They would answer, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. I made a profession of my faith, of course. But their hearts are far away from Christ. They have no personal relationship with the triune God. And it's evident in the fact that there's not a shred of repentance in their lives. Their hearts are full of deceit. And their ways are wicked and evil. They say with their mouths that they are workers of the vineyard of God. And with their words they say that they will enter the kingdom. But in reality, it's nothing more than lip service or lip worship. In their hearts, they have no desire to receive God's promises. Because they're not willing to forsake themselves. They're not willing to. To follow Christ. To be His disciple. They're not willing to lay down their own lives. They don't want to take up their cross. They don't want to repent of their sins. And they don't worship God in spirit and in truth. Sunday after Sunday, they cry out. Yes, sir. Yes, Father. I will go and work in the vineyard. Yes, Lord Jesus, I will count it all lost to know you. I will actively pursue you in the days of my youth. I know nothing and I teach nothing except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. But in reality, verse 30 happens in their lives. He did not go. After speaking all these words that sounded good and obedient, nothing inherently changes in their hearts. These are the hypocrites. These are the nominal believers. And the thing that we need to realize is there's countless numbers of so-called nominal Christians that goes their whole lives thinking that they live in obedience. They think that they trust and believe in Christ. And hundreds of pews are filled with these yeasayers who are communicant members of the local church, falsely living their whole lives, falsely convicted of their salvation, but for them there will be no salvation. They cry out, peace, but there is no peace because their trust, their faith, and their resting in Christ was no less than words that did not take root in their hearts. That on the one side. And on the other side, Others again commit apostasy where it is evident in their lives and their words that they have forsaken Christ. Even when confessing Christ at a younger age, they later grow up and the cares of the world and all the love for the worldly riches and the desires of the flesh take over. And they forsake the kingdom and they view the work in the kingdom of God as pointless and vain. They end up not going the vineyard, not going unto the kingdom of God. And our Lord then teaches us in verse 31 and 32 that those that only worship the Lord with their lips and with their mouth and not with their heart are like those who are like the Pharisees and the, the chief priests. Those who have a great zeal to worship with their mouths, and even to some extent with their deeds, according to their hundreds of laws. But their hearts were not converted to God. And Jesus says elsewhere, when referring to those who are like the Pharisees, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. To some extent, beloved, you can cross all the T's and dot all the I's as far as outward ministry or outward obedience towards the Lord is. Those are like the Pharisees, when the way of righteousness Changed their minds and repented. They did not believe them. They did not change their minds and repented and believed in Christ. When John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ and cried out, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, the Pharisees and the t- chief priests despised him and would not listen to his call of repentance. We read in Malachi chapter 3, the people of Israel having the same reaction when the Lord accuses them of their sins. From the day, verse 7, Malachi 3 verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statures and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? It's not necessary for us to return. We're we're here next to you. We weren't disobedient. Verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Where's our sin? Pharisees says the same thing when John the Baptist proclaims the gospel, faith in Christ. Repentance. From what should we repent? There's nothing to repent. We obey those 613 laws that we made up. There's no need for us to repent. We do all the right things. We say all the right things. And yet Jesus says, Truly I say to you, verse 31, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And this is the second thing that Jesus makes known concerning the kingdom of God. The second point of the sermon. And it's simply that it's not, about, it's not about how you begin the journey on your way to the eternal kingdom. It's about how you end. Because when the gospel was presented to them, the prostitutes and the tax collectors repented of their evil deeds. Perhaps not initially, perhaps not immediately, perhaps first rejecting the gospel, rejecting the salvation offered by grace through faith. I will not go to the vineyard, they probably cried out. But then, like the first son, later on repented of their sin and placed their faith and their trust in Christ. We heard about the extreme difference between the two sons' reaction And now we realize the radical difference in the calling of all sorts of men. For, firstly, though they that had a good track record within the church and was known by the Jews of the church as the leaders of the church, they that outwardly obeyed the law with their words and their deeds, but prided themselves for their piety and their obedience, They would not enter the kingdom of God, for they did not place their faith and their trust in Christ, but in their own accomplishments and on their own merits. And then on the other hand, they that were not known as believers, they weren't known as church leaders, they were not even known as believers, initially being publicly known for their sinful and wicked lives, Committing idolatry and theft, they repented unto Christ. Jesus tells us that they who are like these prostitutes and tax collectors, they will enter the kingdom of God. Now, before we think that all prostitutes and tax collectors will definitely go to heaven because they will go to heaven before the Pharisees, let's hold on to that idea for just a few moments. Because as the Pharisees and the chief priests heard the voices that cried out for repentance, but did not bother to change their mind and repent of their sins, so also did the prostitutes and the tax collectors hear this cries of repentance. And they repented. They changed their mind. They were like Matthew, the gospel writer, a sinful tax collector. And Mary Magdalene, who is described as a sinful woman, who changed their mind. Being renewed by the Holy Spirit, changed their mind and repented unto Christ. They grieved over their sins and grew in hatred of it. They turned away from their sins unto God. This is what repentance is. We will hear that when Pastor Bullock uh, leads us in confessing our faith from Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is what these prostitutes and tax collectors displayed in their lives. A hatred towards their sin. A turning away from their sin unto Christ and endeavoring in the obedience of God. Here is both the religious Pharisees and scribes on the one hand and the sinner prostitutes and tax collectors on the other hand received the call unto faith or received the call unto the kingdom of God, but their reactions were worlds apart. After being called unto faith in Christ, what did the Pharisees do? Unrepentantly, they continued to plan and execute the murder of Christ. They called him out as a heretic, as a blasphemer. They knew of Christ, But they did not know him. And then meanwhile, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, after hearing these same calls of repentance, underwent a life-changing, dramatic experience. They repented. They changed their way of life unto obedience in Christ. They followed not their sin anymore, but they followed Christ. And therefore, Jesus said that it is them who will enter the kingdom of God before those who are hypocritical and nominal believers. Because they, like the first son in this parable, changed their mind. They repented. These prostitutes and tax collectors turned unto Christ and did the work in the kingdom of God. They repented of their sin and had regret and remorse over it and obeying their calling to the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, it's, it's possible that we can think about of our sins. But saints, a, re- a saving faith is a repenting faith. It's to, be, it's to change the course of your lives by 180 degrees. You were on your way to sin, Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you were raised up by Christ. You have a new life. Walk in a worthy manner, away from sin, running unto the saving grace of Christ. And though the lives of these harlots and tax collectors were not previously known as believers After hearing the gospel of salvation by Christ, uh, of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, they ran to the vineyard. They ran to labor in the kingdom of God, doing which is pleasing to the Lord Yahweh. Realizing that if there is any way that we may be admitted into the kingdom, it's through Him who were raised on a cross, who took our sins upon Him giving us thereby forgiveness of our sins. Beloved, this is the necessary reaction that must, be, that must be displayed in a sinner's life after hearing the gospel. It must be this idea that I, a sinful man, deserve as punishment for my sins the death in all eternity. But by grace... Through faith, I can trust in Christ that took away my sins by receiving the punishment that my sins deserve. Those harlots and publicans of whom Jesus spoke here grasped this. They did not only hear of the gospel, they listened to it. They adhered to it. Having their hearts regenerated and their minds renewed, they will enter the kingdom of God even though they in the beginning might have said, no, I will not. God effectually called them to enter his kingdom. In conclusion, beloved, where are we standing in this parable? Are we the first son or the second son? When we hear the call of God, And Daniel led us through that earlier tonight when we read the law. When we read that Sunday after Sunday, when we read the words of the prophets and the apostles, and we hear that our Father is calling us unto His kingdom to place our trust in Christ alone for salvation and to love the Lord our God with all our might, with all our strength, with all our power, with our soul and our neighbor as ourselves, To break the ties with our sin, to break the ties with our addictions and our malice thoughts, and hold fast to Christ alone for salvation. What do we answer? Do we answer like the second son Yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will repent. Yes, Lord, I will give my life to you. But it never happens. Because in our heart, mind, and by our outward life, it does not testify to these words. Or is our answer, or is your answer, or your deed similar to the first son, after recognizing his sins, actively repents of it. Acknowledging that Christ has bought you free from your sins, and therefore you have no desire to keep on living in your sins. But to run to Christ, for in Him there is salvation, for He is our righteousness. And therefore the Spirit makes us willing to work in the kingdom, in the vineyard of God. Because fellow saints, to be a citizen in the Lord's kingdom is to be a servant of the King. The servantship does not only begin when we enter the pearly gates of heaven when Christ returns, but the servantship has already begun. We are already called to be His servants, to work in His kingdom, bowing down before the kingship of Christ, living under His reign. Not only saying that He's a Savior, but not a Lord, reigning over us, but in obedience, living under His reign. Because it is to confess with your mouth and to believe in your heart that Christ has been raised from the dead to continually break the bonds of sin and to do as the Lord pleases, to live to the glory of Christ, resting in who He is and resting in what He achieved. That's to be a servant of God, to work in His vineyard. Oh, beloved, may the Lord grant us mercy. May the Lord strengthen us through His Spirit so that we can continue to labor on the farm, continue to fight the good fight, to run the good race, until the day that the Lord calls upon us, when Christ returns, telling us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, to use these words of the parable that your son told us, or told the people around him 2,000 years ago, we did not apply for the job to work in the vineyard. We have no work experience on our resume that makes us suitable to work in the vineyard. And yet you call us. You call us unto your kingdom not by anything that we have done on our own, not because of our repentance, but because of the good work, the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ, being given to us, imputed to us as our own. Father, we do thank you for working within us through your Spirit to enlighten our minds to see the sins in our lives. And we pray, open our eyes even wider, May we get a magnifying glass to view our souls, to see where there are sins in our souls, in our minds, in our heart, as well as in our deeds. Father, may we repent of them, fleeing, running away from them, running unto your fatherly arms. For we know when we confess our sins and we re- when we repent of them, There is forgiveness through Christ Jesus of your mere goodness. For this glorious grace that we have been given out of your mere goodness. Amen.